Hey team, and welcome back to Fast Set Performance, Accelerating Your Potential. I've been asked some questions uh, by a guy who was looking to go to the Officer Air Crew Selection Center and was looking for some advice. As I said to him, it has been some time since my, either myself or my men have actually been there, so I will do everything I can to answer his questions. However, the careers office is probably the place for some more uh, up-to-date sort of information. So seven essential questions new pilots need to ask. It is 20 minutes and it's quite long. So if you're already flying or you're over the age of maybe mid to late 20s, I'd probably skip this one and we'll have a look at some other uh, material later on. Right, I've had a guy in his late teens right in to ask a few questions. So I thought I'd share them as it might help others who are looking at a potential career in the military. This is a military centric post, so skip this one if you're in the business world, but there might be one or two things that could help you at work um, or interviews. The guy who wrote in was looking to become a more well-rounded candidate for when he attended the Officer Air Crew Selection Centre, or OASC, at RF Cranwell later in the year. Now, during our conversation, I had to make it clear, as I said, that it has been many years since I attended OASC. And even when I spoke to our younger students, it was clear that it had also been a few years since they had attended. The RF recruitment offices should be able to provide you with the latest recruitment information, although I have heard that they are not always the best places to find out what serving on an RAF flying squadron is actually like. This is because few pilots can actually be spared for recruitment tasks as they possess a valuable skill set that is of more use in the cockpit and not behind a desk. But luckily you have me and I've asked the guys and I've got some answers for you. Right, so let's have a look then. Firstly, question one, what do you believe are the most important skills slash qualities for a potential pilot and officer to, to display in general? Well, for an officer, obviously, uh, the first essential quality that will be looked at is leadership, and the OESC panel will be seeking examples of this from you. You'll be asked questions such as, can you talk about an example where you're able to show leadership in a challenging situation? And your leadership skills will be tested in the lead-less exercise, which is about 30 minutes, the command situation exercise, which is about 15 minutes, and the group planning exercise. Leadership is one of many things for the potential officer and pilot to display. And you must be clear in the RAF that you are an officer first and a pilot second. So make sure the panel know that you understand this because it shows loyalty to the service above your own personal desires to fly airplanes. Other attributes that my students felt were important were teamwork, the ability to work on your own initiative and having a broad range of skill sets, being able to handle failure. Now, teamwork is essential in the military as the individual rarely works alone uh, and unsupported and in the RAF, as it is a very technical service, teams can be made up of all ranks and all trades. Sometimes the most valuable member of the team can be the most junior in rank. So being able to work in a team is just as essential as being a good leader. And if you cannot work in a team, then there is no place for you in the services. Remember, there is no I in team. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work, as they say. The ability to work on your own initiative is also incredibly important. In teams, you'll be asked to do something and the team must know that you'll use all of your resources to make that happen. You will often have to go off on your own to complete a task that will in turn benefit the overall goal of the team. And if you come back after two days having not completed the task, then this will put the team two days behind schedule. The ability to work on your own initiative and unsupervised, often in dynamic and hostile situations, is what makes the serviceman or woman different to their civilian counterpart. Having a broad range of skills or breadth of character means that you can be of benefit in a lot of roles and you are not a one-trick pony. The services love people who are the UK's under-18 schools triathlon champion, but not if that is all you have done. 
I'll talk about becoming more rounded later, but don't think that being amazing in one discipline will get you into the military. It is much better to be good at a few things. Uh, the ability to handle failure is an incredibly important trait to have, and you will probably be asked to give examples of when you have failed and how you came back from it. Now, we all know that there are people who never seem to fail, and yes, we know that we are probably not one of them. So be honest, failure just happens. It's how you deal with that failure that defines you as a person. I'll write a post later about my own difficult entry into the services and the struggles and failures that I had, but it's how I dealt with those failures that kept me driving forwards and eventually led me to becoming the most senior fast jet flying instructor in the RAF today. My students asked me to make it clear that they felt that the ability to deal with failure and use it as a route to success was one of the most important traits to have if you were to be entering military flying training. The quote here, it says, failures, repeated failures, are finger posts on the road to achievement. One fails forwards towards success. That's from C.S. Lewis. Right, the next question then. What do you believe is the thing that most pilots struggle with throughout the selection and training phases prior to becoming operational? Okay, so I teach students in phase four flying training. That's the last flying training that they undertake before moving on to uh, learn how to fly their frontline aircraft on the operational conversion units. It's been a few years since we all went through it. Uh, I can talk about what students struggle with in our flight school. The main thing that students struggle with are confidence, not achieving when other high or when with other high achievers, uh, failure, and the length of the training itself. On the Hawk T2, we have no flying tests at all, apart from a regulatory required instrument rating test that both staff and students have to pass. There is no final nav test, no final handling test, no progress check, nothing. That is because you're being continually assessed in everything you do, whether in the air or on the ground. Every sortie can be the start of the end of your flying career. If you are chopped or fail fast jet flying training, you may be offered the chance to retrain on rotary or multi-engines, but this isn't always the case. This is why you need to be able to remain confident in your ability to pass flying training. And as we know, there is a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You must be able to recognize that you'll most probably not be the best performing student on the course. You may have been the top pupil at your school. You may have won awards in sports or made flight sergeant in ATC. But in your military flying training, you'll be with people who have done better things and achieved more than you have. So just deal with that. This can knock your confidence as day after day you'll be getting threes for your flying and one of your course mates will most probably be getting fours. It will chip away at you. You have to realise that there are just some people out there who are more intelligent, better looking and are more successful than you. It's how you deal with not achieving whilst with other high achievers that will define how well you do in your flying training. It is said that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So go and hang around the successful people and learn from them. The length of training will grind you down if you let it. Sometimes it seems like such a long road. One of my students has been in the service for 11 years and is still not on the front line. This isn't the norm, however. He is part of the holding generation and had a three-year non-flying hold whilst he waited for the backlog of students to clear before he could start his flying training. When you couple this long journey with the possibility of failure, then you can start to appreciate why you need to have confidence in your own ability to make it to the end. The quote here is, if you do not believe in yourself, you cannot expect anyone else to. Okay, let's have a look at the next question then. What is the toughest part of your job, both past and present? Right, well, flying military fast jets is tough in many ways, both physically and emotionally, and it affects each person differently. We recently had the Welsh comedian Rod Gilbert come and fly with us for his TV show, Rod Gilbert's Work Experience, and this is how he summed up his experience. This has been very, very hard. Tremendous 
difficult mental and emotional things done in the most demanding physical environment. And it's all about training somebody so that they can do that several times a day, day in, day out, in real theatres of war, on real operations. Dedication to do this, the skill, you have to be one hell of a person to do that, and it is too much for me. So yes, the physical nature of flying is very apparent. Necks and backs get sore, and it is very tiring. Just getting changed for a flight can be tough. You have to wear thermal underwear over which goes a woolen bunny suit followed by an immersion suit to protect you from the effects of hypothermia should you eject and land in the sea. Over this goes your flying suit followed by your G pants to stop all the blood from your head pulling in your legs and offering some protection from the effects of G. Then you put on your LSJ or your life, save, life jacket survival, your boots, gloves, flying helmet and any kneeboard, maps and documentation you need. It makes the kit they wear in Formula One look like a set of pyjamas. Emotionally, it can also take its toll. You will lose friends during your career, not only from being chopped from flying training, but also from flying accidents. On our mobile phones, we all have the phone numbers of friends who have been killed and they are rarely removed. Of course, there is always the worry that you might join them if you aren't careful. That feeling is a constant, though the best pilots learn to suppress it. A lot of pilots suffer from imposter syndrome, as do most high achievers. They believe that they aren't good enough, shouldn't be there, and that one day people will find out. This is quite common, and again, most learn to suppress it. We do lose the odd student who decides that they don't want to kill anyone. Incidentally, it's probably best to come to terms with this early on in your flying career as the RAF doesn't want to waste money training someone who won't fight. And be under no illusion that this is what you are being trained to do. It isn't a flying club. On a different note, the nomadic lifestyle can be a challenge for some where others enjoy the moving about. You get moved on posting every two and a half to three and a half years. Kids move school. You make new friends. This also means that there is a low-level tendency to not invest too heavily in relationships as they are normally transient, but you do find it very easy to start back up a relationship when you meet up with your old buddies again. Uh, war fighting can get you down too. It is the most intense thing you'll ever experience, but it can also be the most dull. It plays havoc with your nerves. There was a period when I was deployed to Kabul with the US Army where whenever I went out in the city to meet someone or do a site visit, about three weeks later there would be a bombing or an insurgent attack at that location. You do get used to it, but initially it can be hard to come to terms with. I just took out more US Marines with me the next time because they do love that sort of thing. Okay, what would you say is the biggest factor in having a successful career in the RF, and what was the highlight of your career? Um, you have to be able to work as a team member, but also as a leader who lets themselves be informed by their team. It is easy to believe in your own narrative or the polemic that you have, you have created for yourself, but invariably you are all the same people and you're nothing special. Never think that you are indispensable. The service has redundancy built in and you won't be missed when you're gone. You'll be out of sight and out of mind. But if you get a bad reputation, it will be very hard to get rid of. So just by being a fair and likable person, you will go a long way. It's a big family. Just don't be the black sheep. Your ability to get along with people in order to progress your career is no different from any other walk of life. The quote here is the law of reciprocity. When someone does something nice for you, you will have a deep-rooted psychological urge to do something nice in return. Also, a successful career for one person might be very different for another. For me, promotion was not what I wanted anymore, but to still teach the future frontline guys and girls was what I was happy to do for a while. I have friends who are very career-driven and would drop their typhoon cockpit for an extra stripe in a second, so what suits one person doesn't necessarily suit another. Pick the career you want and drive for it. Not everyone can be chief of the air staff. As for the highlights, while flying in conflict is what every pilot wants to do more than anything, it is the ultimate challenge and we love challenges. You have a lot of sleepless nights and it'd be quite intimidating, but you'll have uh, normally been on exercises to prepare for it. 
I participated in many multinational exercises when I was on the Tornado GR4 and one highlight was leading the night close air support or CAS side of exercise red flag flown out of Nellis Air Base, Nevada in the US. I'd work closely with American Apache and A-10 crews and teach elementary close air support techniques to Israeli F-16 pilots. I remember my navigator, now called a weapon system officer, calling stop, stop, stop to me just as I was about to release a Paveway 2 laser-guided bomb as he had just seen an Apache fly through the crosshairs on the targeting pod. That was a close miss that night. So operational flying will always be a highlight for many pilots, but now I get just as much satisfaction from getting a student who has become a problem child over their issues and onto their frontline aircraft. The psychology involved in coaching someone over a troubled period in their flying training should not be underestimated. The work that goes into it is huge and proportionate to the amount of money that's already been spent on their training. For a student to fail at this late stage in their training is a huge blow to both the staff and student communities, and there's always a review of what, if anything, could have been done to have prevented it. Personally, I enjoyed my time at BRNC Dartmouth, where I completed initial officer training. I spent five years in the Royal Navy before transferring to the RAF, and it was something completely different and involved going to sea on a Type 22 frigate for an operational tour of the Middle East. Next question. What would you say separates a successful and an unsuccessful pilot candidate? Okay, so again, being involved in Phase 4 flying training means that it's been a while since I, my staff, my students had any experience of OSC. However, I've gained the following pointers from the squadron. So perception is anything. Politicians know this very well. It's not what you are, it's what people think you are that counts. This is why you wear a suit to an interview. It's probably the first time you've worn a suit in a long time. Uh, but you want the interviewer to think that you are presentable. So perception is a good thing for you as well, as it means that even if you aren't the greatest person in the world, you can do certain things that will make the interviewer think that you are. Confidence is a big one. You need to believe in yourself, and I know it's hard, especially when you're just leaving school, college, or university, and you might not know what to expect in the military. Everybody is in the same boat. So be the confident one, but be careful not to come across as arrogant. You don't want to make the panel think of you as big-headed. But do stand up for yourself, because confidence is important. So I would expect a successful candidate to have fully participated in all of the group discussions and not to have dominated. You need to be respectful and considerate of other people's opinions. In the group exercises, I would expect a successful candidate to have offered their ideas to the group. But if someone's idea is better than theirs, then to have acknowledged it and got fully behind them. They should then concentrate on becoming a solid member of the team. On the individual leadership exercise, though, the successful candidate would have come out with their first impression of the task and then have asked if any of the others have any ideas. The candidate would allocate tasks to the team and set out the strategy of how they were going to attempt the main task. Again, remember that you're being looked at for your leadership ability in this task and use your team and listen to their suggestions. In the interview, the successful candidate should have an opinion on current day issues. Opinions cannot be right or wrong. They can just be educated or ill-informed. If you are unsure of an issue, then just be open about it. It's absolutely fine that you are not well-versed on the 1830 Russo-Persian Treaty of Gulistan. Uh, but please don't think you have to be well-read in this treaty. I have no idea what that is about. Lastly, be presentable and well-groomed. Don't overstate your abilities, but don't shy away from them either. It's not boasting, it's being honest. You're the only person that can sell you to an OASC panel. So next question. What would you expect a successful candidate to have done, i.e. voluntary work, work experience, in their spare time? Now, here's the thing. So your spare time should be a period when you get to relax and you get to unwind after studying or working. So don't beat yourself up if you haven't been building an orphanage in Uzbekistan whilst designing the next generation of water purification devices. But having some interest is important as it gives you something to talk to the panel about other than being a legendary Halo 5 online gamer on your Xbox. Things like playing a musical instrument, 
participating in school plays, concerts, conducting work experience will all give you the ammunition to use when asked about your hobbies and interests. Voluntary work, although in no way essential, would probably help give you an edge over those who haven't done it, but have reasons why you did it and not just so that you could use it in an interview. Making a difference in your local community will give you a great sense of self-worth and you'll meet some interesting people too. Being an ATC or CCF will show that you have an interest in the service and are actively learning more about it in one of these organisations, as does any attempt to get airborne in gliders or light aircraft. I used to cycle 30 miles every Saturday morning to a local airfield near me in Chichester where I clean the Flying Club aircraft for free in the hope that they give me a flight sometime. Just being around these aircraft, these PA-28s and Cessna 172s at the age of 15 was an amazing experience for me and sometimes I was allowed in the Flying Club crew room where I'd be able to meet guys and girls a few years ahead of me who were getting flying lessons. The school let me fly once a month in return for all the cleaning I'd done and ended up telling the OSC panel of this experience which they recognised obviously as a desire to fly and they awarded me a flying scholarship which gave me 30 hours of flying. Incidentally, I met a guy in the scholarship who became a great friend and later the best man at my wedding. He went on to become the Royal Navy's most senior Lynx helicopter instructor and displayed for the Black Cats and he is still flying today. The Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme is also a good thing to be involved with for developing leadership and teamwork as are team sports. The services love leaders so the only thing better than being in the first 15 rugby team is being the captain of the first 15 rugby team. When I failed my first Admiralty interview board with the Royal Navy, I was told to go away and play some team sports. So I joined Portsmouth Rugby Club in their fourth team and gradually worked my way up to the second team. You show more leadership by being the captain of the fourth team and being a team member of the third. So what advice would you give an 18-year-old with aspirations of becoming an RAF fast jet pilot? Well, have a plan B. and I'm serious about this. Really think about what you'll do if you don't get in. There are fewer fast jet pilots in the RAF than there are premiership footballers. So statistically, you're more likely to become a premiership footballer than a fast jet pilot. But someone has to do it, and why shouldn't it be you? My brother has had an exceptionally varied flying career, flying the Hercules all over the world in some of the most hostile environments imaginable. So don't just look at fast jets. Think rotary and multi-engine too. I recently spoke to a friend of mine who was looking at applying to British Airways as his 16-year military career comes to an end. He said that if he does get an interview, he'd take two weeks of leave just to prepare for it. He takes it that seriously. So don't waste your time at OSC. Make sure you prepare fully. Use online forums. Practice being interviewed and prepare your answers to some complicated questions that you'll most likely be asked. Remember, there are two other services out there too. I spent my university time in the Officer Training Corps, or the OTC, in an infantry company specialising in long-range patrolling competition called the Cambrian Patrol. Most of my buddies joined the Army after university, whereas I joined the Navy. My friends from the University Air Squadron, uh, or the UAS, joined the RF, but we were all the same people. You'll find this out when you join. There is also movement within the services, so if you are five years into a career with one service and an opportunity pops up in another, you can normally transfer, as I did. So don't neglect the other two services. There's a lot of fun to be had in all of them. For flying, you'll need to practice your mental arithmetic and aptitude tests, but I'm assuming you already know this already. But do have a plan for what you'll do if you don't get in. And if you haven't been to university, the panel will probably tell you that you should. This isn't saying that you aren't good enough to join. It's just a way of saying that they would like you to gain some more experience and maybe mature a little. Because they can't take every 18-year-old. In fact, they can only take a very small number. But do keep applying. And if one service turns you down, maybe talk to another. Just keep on keeping on. The last quote here is, Perseverance is not a long race. It is many short races, one after the other. That's by Walter Elliott. So stay safe, Warriors. I'll put up another post soon. I'm not too sure it's going to be right now. But obviously, any issues, whack a tweet out there, like the Facebook page and post a comment, and I'll uh, get back to answering you.
Also, I'm currently tweeting for the Hawk T2 display at the moment. So that is at, uh, what is it, at T2 Roll Demo. Uh, we're trying to get some followers up. It's for a, a children's charity that the guys are flying for this season. They're going to be using Smoky Sams, which are simulated surface-to-air missiles, and they will also be using pyrotechnics in their displays. That's very rare for a display, something very different there. So at T2 Roll Demo, or of course at Fast Jet Performance, will also get you there. Also, Tim Davies underscore UK is the other one you can go to and uh, bring up some pretty unique and interesting content. Okay, until next time, stay safe, Warriors. Warriors.